1: And welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Landry Football Podcast on Twitch TV, on YouTube TV, Facebook, wherever you are consuming this podcast. We certainly appreciate it, be it podcast, live. If you are not watching us live and you're listening to this on uh, podcast form, we appreciate uh, maybe you giving us a chance to Come visit us over on Twitch TV, Chris Landry, uh, excuse me, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. Or maybe simpler, just go to landryfootball.com, hit follow Chris on Twitch, and you can catch all of our programs uh over at um Twitch TV. So we appreciate you joining us. You can interact with us um on um the the chat room to where you can talk with us live so it's a great opportunity there if you got a question you certainly uh, can send it via email on um at landryfootball.com but uh, as a subscriber to the Chris Landry channel you're going to receive a commercial free experience Uh, which means uh, you're not going to miss a minute and you will become an insider, which we're going to lean on you to cheer and have fun and participate in the chat room with your questions. Love your questions. Love your thoughts. Um, I think that it's a lot of fun because it's a chance to interact. And I know fans see the game differently and want to have that viewpoint and maybe give some insight into kind of what's really going on in the process and why. So, we can certainly do that. And it's a great way of supporting what we do. Uh, the monthly subscription is taken care of by Amazon prime. And uh, if you like what we do, cheer us on with a few bits. Uh, we, we really would appreciate that. And what is the bits work? You just simply go there. Uh, you buy your bits right here on the Twitch channel uh, in the chat room. You type in cheer in all caps and um, cheer your hundred bits, 200 bits, a uh, hundred bits is worth a dollar. So we really appreciate you joining us. This podcast is brought to you by uh, American Betting Experts, uh, one of the largest licensed sports and casino vendors in the United States. And here's what you do. You go to our website, LandryFootball.com, and um, you click on the ad located in the upper right side of the page, which is... It says special gaming offers from American betting experts. And what you do is you pick among the gaming sites legal in your state, such as BetMGM, DraftKings, Fanduel, PointsBet. Sign up instantly and receive an account deposit match or risk free bet from one hundred dollars to one thousand dollars. Think about that. You get a risk free bet or a risk free bet. He's trying to say, and um, or or on an, uh, an account deposit match. It's that easy. Again, go to LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located in the upper right side of the page. This special offer from American betting experts. And a reminder, um, also brought to you by the great folks at Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming precision engineer tools, uh, obsessed over their technology and development, Provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer, the Manscaped. Um, their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. It's waterproof so you can use it in the shower. They've even got an LED light. Look, you get 20% off plus free shipping if you use the code Landry20. That's all caps, L A N D R Y, and the number 20. So check that out. All right, today, I'm going to get into the film room a little bit, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what Florida was able to do against Georgia offensively that got all those wheel rocks. People say, I oh, didn't cover the wheel route all day. I'm going to tell you the schematics behind that. We're going to talk a little bit about what the film showed with the Bucs and the Saints and why the Bucks had so much difficulty and kind of why that game got one-sided schematically. Gotta have some talk about COVID. I don't like talking about COVID because I don't know. I'm like anyone else, but I, I have some thoughts about some things we can absolutely do to maybe get this season in. I want to try to get to looking at a little bit of some film grade rankings. So you've got your rankings that are out there, and everybody kind of ranks the teams, college, NFL. I'm going to give you kind of how the film room, uh, at least how I've graded the teams to this point, try to get to the NFL and as well as just how the college playoffs, to that point, how it stacks up. Um, like to get to, at some point, talk a little bit about what makes Brian Kelly uh, underrated, in my mind. Did a little bit of a project of kind of looking at the state of college programs. And I was asked this question you know, oftentimes they talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and not every situation falls under the category of good, bad, or ugly. But using that scale, if you're going to use that left to right, good, bad, ugly, kind of where the college programs sit—not just the teams this year, but the programs—and uh, we'll we'll get into um, as much of that as we can. We, uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Want to, um, you know, welcome everybody, part of the Radio Influence Network bringing you this Landry Football Podcast each and every week. Again, a lot to get to today. uh, Start off a little bit with some of the coaching um, film as it relates to Florida, Georgia in particular. Talk a little bit about the Bucs Saints. Uh, but want to um, address a little bit off the top, kind of where we are. It's a really a, a unusual schedule that is going to be forthcoming this week. Is I kind of take a look at the college schedule, and you see some of the premier matchups that are no longer. And there was not a lot of premier matchups this week to begin with. But boy, you look at it. And right now we're holding on to Iowa, Minnesota on Friday night, Utah, UCLA, which has been moved to Saturday, but man, the SEC is taking a hit Alabama LSU, which was not going to be a good game. It was going to be an Alabama blowout. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but that is a game that would have drawn a lot of eyeballs due to, because of Alabama, and it would have been the back end of the Masters, third round of the Masters. Um, probably not the worst thing in the world for LSU not to have to play that game. Um, it certainly would have been a bad look to get decisively beaten. And this was kind of a name your own score type of game for Alabama. But that game's off the docket. Auburn, Mississippi State, been off. Texas AM, Tennessee, done. Now Georgia, Missouri, done. So we're left in the SEC with Vandy, Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida, South Carolina, Ole Miss. Nationally, Indiana, Michigan State, Miami, Virginia Tech, a somebody-needs-something-good-to-happen Penn State-Nebraska game, TCU-West Virginia, in the early Saturday slot. Then probably – the premier game, at least of intrigue is going to be in the second window of which I tend to go on each central time zone. So the two thirty window has got Notre Dame, Boston college, which now moves into the number one slot. Why? Um, I don't know that this BC team could pull the upset of Notre Dame. <clears throat> it would, excuse me. It would require Notre Dame to, to play beneath their capabilities, no doubt, but coming off a big win, always a challenge. Dracovic can throw the football. It could be a real interesting game, but gone in that window is Ohio state, Maryland, which Ohio state would have won, but it would have been an interesting little test. And quite frankly, Ohio state doesn't, I mean, they don't even have a challenge yet. I mean, they, don't need to play that well and still will win when you look at their schedule. Indiana's the only team at this point, doesn't look like Michigan. We know historically in recent history, as well as just this season, that doesn't look good. But Ohio State, Maryland, gone. a Tennessee, gone. Auburn, Mississippi State, gone. We discussed that. Baylor, Texas Tech, still alive. Then we get into the early evening window and of course Alabama LSU done Arkansas Florida is remaining Pitt Georgia Tech Florida State NC State South Carolina Ole Miss and I do have some intrigue into Wisconsin Michigan I want to see Wisconsin they haven't played for a while so look I'm not going to sit there and die. USC Arizona should be a blowout A USC Oregon Washington State Cal Arizona State look it's Not a great weekend in terms of big-time matchups. I will say this. You usually have some games that are surprising and are intriguing. Uh, Over at LandryFootball.com, we've got the complete breakdowns of all of these games. What we do is take the elite games and focus a little bit more, give them their, you know, kind of the people are more interested in that, so we find out we'll, we'll put those out there. But we break down all of the games And we put them in a conference notebook and a conference post so you can go, for example, and get the complete breakdowns, uh, the game previews, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the ACC, the Big 10, the SEC. And we got a group of five. Group of five games are kind of lumped into one. Um, And, you know, for example, we've got East Carolina Cincinnati. We've got Middle Tennessee, Marshall. We've got Coastal Carolina, Troy, that I've broken down for you. Army, Tulane. Uh, We've got South Alabama, Louisiana, Lafayette. Fresno State, Utah State. uh, Georgia State, Appalachian State. SMU, Tulsa. Temple, Central Florida. Those are the group of five games that I've got featured in there. So you want to get a good feel for those teams and the way it kind of shapes up and what we're looking for, we've got that for you. We do the same thing in the NFL. This week in the NFL, we've got a um, Buffalo, Arizona, that's intriguing, Seattle, the Rams, uh, most intriguing. But as we're taping this show and doing this show live, got a really good AFC South matchup with the Colts against the Titans. But one of the things I want to get to right off the top is the fact that we've got a lot of concern with these games being canceled. And I don't know. I'm not smart enough. I can just listen to what people are saying about, you know, why we're having more positive tests. Uh, It's cooler weather. People, the days are shorter. So people are inside more. There may be congregating more. People may be tired of dealing with the whole COVID issue. They just don't care anymore. Whatever Um, cooler weather, you know, uh, Halloween couple of weeks, um, the election, I mean, whatever the case may be, looks like we're headed to a greater propensity of these games getting, well, in some cases canceled and some to this point postponed, but we're running out of postponing dates. I have a real concern and I really think there needs to be a concerted effort, particularly at the big time level. And I know that it is expensive, but let me remind folks that, for example, the SEC loses money by not having the Alabama LSU game being played. CBS doesn't have to pay. That's they get a rebate for that game not being televised. So there's money at stake or money lost when you can't play. So it would behoove in my mind. I, I would look at it. And of course, college football is so poorly organized, so poorly run. It's so individually run that I think that the major college level, it would make a whole, would have made a whole lot of sense and would make a lot of sense for them to say, look, most of the colleges are sending their kids home for Thanksgiving in a week and they're not bringing their kids back to campus. It's going to be virtual learning for the rest of the semester. It would make all the sense in the world to basically, in a bubble, bubble up your teams like you saw in the NBA, Major League Baseball. I I don't think – I think it would make a lot of sense to – yes, it would cost money but you could perhaps save the rest of the season. I, I I just think it would make a lot of sense if you could do that. Now, there's some programs maybe are not in the playoff mix. That's part of the issue with, with college football. And so it's not good enough if you're Alabama and you're Ohio State and you're Clemson and you're Notre Dame and you sequester, if you play – an opponent that's not one of those four, obviously, that doesn't sequester you, you still are exposing yourself, but I, I really believe they need to get get a handle on that, and I think you probably could do some things on campus with an on-campus facility if you don't want to go into a hotel room. I think we need to bubble this up. If we don't, we're going to have a problem, And and look, I mean, we already do, but we may have less and less games. We may be looking at instead of 10 games, we may be looking at, you know, seven. And the ones that are hoping to get seven in maybe may four or five. It's, it's, it's going to be tough to get enough games in to satisfy people. But it's a thought that I, I just really think there needs to be a concerted effort to try to, to bubble things up because as tough as this is, And I do think it makes sense this year. And there's no indication that they're even considering this. But it would make sense to say, you know what? Maybe maybe we do a playoff this year. Maybe we do a playoff this year. Maybe we have eight teams. And, you know, it's a way to make up money, if nothing else. And I think if you bubble it up, put guys in a bubble, and you kind of secure those playoffs games, it takes – Maybe what we didn't have in a season and maybe some of the lack of enthusiasm during the season for obvious reasons relative to what it normally is, you can make up with it on the back end. Now, they're not going to do it, and I'm going to tell you why. They're not going to expand the playoffs because they don't want to get people a taste of it. And say, you know what, this is pretty good, or you know, we like this, and this is a good end of the season. They they don't want that. I'm not a playoff guy, <clears throat> but you know, I am a opposite, I am a play the season and put the best teams in the best bowl games and then pick four after that, which is essentially just giving us more football, but giving us more quality matchups based upon who had the best seasons and use the bowl games to become more meaningful and as an extension of the regular season, those of you that have been followers of us, of me at landryfootball.com com, and certainly on the, the different podcast platforms, that's what I've always honed in on. But um, the playoffs are just a different way to accomplish it in a different form, but that's what I believe. I, I just think that there's, there's some real issues that we're facing. All right, let's get into some film work and to discuss what I uncovered on film. And by the way, thank for, um, Kev Balargo cheering us 200 bits. That's really nice. We really appreciate your support and best of luck to your teams. This weekend. I know it's been a long season. They're hanging there. Um, The thing that kind of stood out, and I addressed it a little bit on Scout's Eye yesterday with the Georgia program and the offensive issues. But I want to address a little bit uh, of the job that Florida's offense did against Georgia's defense in breaking down the film. And there are a lot of things, but I want to focus on one as I do tend to be, I like to call it thorough, but long winded is probably accurate as well. Um, when you go into a game and you're aware that George is down some guys in the secondary, some experienced guys, you know, everyone will look at, well, we'll attack that guy, that guy. Well, sometimes you've got guys that are pretty comparable athletically, but one of the things that is very smart when you have new people in the game, you have a role of a veteran guy that is responsible for making the checks making the adjustments pre snap one of the things to do in a game plan knowing that offensively is to create some confusion pre snap to create some different personnel groupings and looks that's going to trick them up a little bit to where you're and you're trying to go a little tempo a little quicker tempo and you create some confusion that's all it takes is just a little hesitation a little confusion to get guys free. Everyone said the same thing in the game man they Georgia couldn't cover the wheel route. it was big everybody all the talking heads oh they to tell you why they couldn't tell you what was the key to it right here so you number your receivers we we call guys um. Outside in. So the closest to the sideline. You've got you know number one, number two. So if you got um number one, number two, number three, you, you work your way in. So identifying defensively who's got one, who's got two is what you want to do. Well, if you are going to try to create some confusion, one of the things to do is to create different formation looks and then create motions to where you invert guys. So number one becomes number three, three becomes two, two becomes one, and all of a sudden it's just a little bit where as you're trying to communicate it defensively, the ball snapped and you got some issues. You figure it out but you figure it out just a little too late. And so George's defensive effort, good game plan coming in, was we're not going to let the big tight end Kyle Pitts beat us. We're gonna make sure that we try to contain Canarius Tony. We cannot allow those guys to beat us. And it's it's smart. Take away what they do best. Okay, so Florida having a really good game plan. We're gonna get we're gonna run flat routes that turn into wheel routes. Okay. So basically everybody said it's a wheel route. It wasn't a r- wheel route, it was a flat route that turned into a wheel route. So as you run a flat route, depending on how it's defended, you throw it as a flat route or you get up depending upon the adjustments or lack thereof. It was a really good game plan and and Georgia never really adjusted to it. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that younger guys were in the game. And so it was a little complex because it wasn't the same adjustments every time it was quite a bit different. And it wasn't that they didn't get it. They were just late getting it. And so it was a combination. We're going to give them different looks and we're not going to give them the same looks, but we're going to use it with tempo. We're not going to give them time. You know, just think about it. Think about it. You're in a classroom. You study. You know the material. It's good, but you're kind of there. You kind of have an idea, but the professor says, "Chris, go." What are you? Boom, and it's like you you just you can't rattle it off. Football is not about thinking. It's about reacting. It's an old saying Belichick used to have, and Saban has picked it up because we were both there. It's practicing not. So you get it right. It's practice practicing it, so you can't get it wrong. It is so much ingrained into you. You react to it. I mean, think about it. you react when you're in a car. You know, you don't think I need. But that guy is swerving. I need you. Boom! You react. You react to the moment. That's what football is. It's knowing it, but you got to be able to react to it. Well, it wasn't that Georgia didn't know. It was that they were slow to react to it and they ate them up and then big play after big play after big play. And so the point of that is that Florida is not, it's not just about, they got a great tight end and more. It's not just that the quarterback's really good. And this is a bigger point, And maybe it is a little bit of a buttress to what we talked about, you know, yesterday with, with Georgia and, and any team that's struggling to try to maybe create a different offensive identity on offense. It's about, the ability to teach it. Schemes don't win. Hey, they need to go to this scheme. No, there are multiple schemes that can win. It's how well you teach it and how well you execute it. Good offenses are not all RPOs. They're certainly not all air raids. They're different ways. They're different ways to do it. It's how you teach it. That's going to be the key. And Dan Mullen. Florida is very, very good at creating different looks early, baiting you, and then being able to change it and adjust. So it's he's usually ahead of you. He does a really good job of it, does a really good job. I've seen him in cerebral matchups against a cerebral defensive coordinator like a Dave Aranda with very talented LSU players. I'll coach Dave Aranda most every time he's he's faced him, and Mississippi State or Florida. Very impressive. So when you have okay, good quarterback, why is Kyle Trask developed so much, so well? A lot to do with Dan Mullen, and and it really getting a lot out of him, and being able to create mismatches and create different looks. All those things really determine you know, how well you're successful. Look, I mean, Florida's offenses, they don't run the football quite as much as maybe ideally they'd like to. And and to be honest with you, if they could do that a little bit better, it would protect their defense more, but they have a good ball control passing attack. So good scheme in addition to good talent. It is not a the sky is falling in Georgia, the defense, you know, there's some things there that can be learned and adjusted to, and not enough credit is given to the Gators there. It's all about what Georgia didn't do. And quite frankly, Georgia's got some work. Florida just did a better job at accentuating what they do well, as opposed to what Georgia was able to do. Georgia's a little bit more basic, not as eclectic, not as varied, a little bit more, we're going to beat you with simplicity. Simplicity is great. You hear this a lot. Simplify so we can do things better. So, Yes, you must start with simplicity to make sure that you do it well, but it is important to grow from simplicity to being able to do more things because the more things you can do, the better off you are with creating different looks to your opponent on both sides of the ball. If you're very simple, you become easier to run your offense or defense, but you become a little bit easier to diagnose. And I think Dan does the best job, one of the best jobs in the country of taking what he can do well and what his players can do well in, in camouflaging what they don't do well, really good job. Um, and wanted to kind of point that out as to why. Everybody saw what happened. Why did it happen the way it did? Um, you know, I want to address a little bit, flip a little bit to another little film room session on our, what what happened with the blowout um, in the Bucks Saints. What really happened defensively? Well, you got a Bucks team that Is more of a press man team, played a lot of press man, did in week one, and it didn't work. So they tried to play more zone against the Saints. And and I'm going to tell you something if you don't get pressure, if you give Drew Brees time, and particularly when you have Michael Thomas back, and you've got all the defenders. Facing the quarterback and Drew Brees can manipulate you and create bad eyes, can challenge your eye discipline. It was big play after big play early, big lead. And that was the biggest thing that just jumped out is that Saints were able to attack with multiple receivers because in zone coverage, you run to open space and a great quarterback that has great vision and great play fake and can manipulate your eyes with his eyes. Then what you have is the ability to throw guys open, throw them to a space, lead your receivers to the where they want to be because you can manipulate the defense. You will run to the open grass and have success. Um, and so they got big lead. And then the Bucks. Bucks have had success defensively with their high pressure. They've not been able to do that well against Drew. And then you get behind in a game and the Bucks don't run the football. Well, they don't run it. It wasn't their plan to run it five times, really four times and then a kneel down. It's certainly, you don't go in and say, we're going to run it five times. But they got behind in the game. And one of the real keys to what the Bucks have been able to do is they've been able to run the football pretty well to set up the pass game and they were so far behind that they just had no success. So now the Saints' defense, I mean, that was maybe the unappreciated, the untold story of that game was how well the Saints' defense shut down the Bucs' offense. Well, they shut down a one-dimensional Bucks' offense, and the Bucs were one-dimensional because they got down so quickly. This is what I talk about oftentimes with complementary football. You know, you can force the issue to your opponent on one side of the ball by how you play on the other side of the ball. Defensively, it can become a lot easier to play if you know you don't have to defend the run. And they're not, you don't have to defend the run if the opponent is so far down offensively that they're going to be throw only. So Saints got the pass rush. The Saints did a really good job in coverage. Brady couldn't set his feet. So it was and, – and I got to tell you, it's – there's a distinct advantage from a coaching standpoint with the Saints, their offense against the Bucks defense. They can manipulate that and have manipulated that pretty well. Um, and, and that is the key to maybe – you know, the Bucks going forward have to find a way to limit the explosive plays – so that they can stay in the game, so they can stay committed to the run. Those are a couple of things that jumped out at me in uh, the film room that I wanted to get to. Um, Also, kind of going back to Georgia-Florida, again, people will look at and we'll see maybe at different points in time, Georgia have success throwing the football. and People will say, I don't get it. (coughs) Pardon me why there's some success throwing it sometimes versus others, and most of the time they don't. Well, they're a team. They're a play-action team. What is play-action? Sometimes let's take a minute to explain a little bit what the effect of play-action is. When you run the football, you force defenders in the box to defend the run if you have a really good run when you run play action, you are running a fake that is selling the run. You're getting linebackers to bite up. And you're pulling that. The quarterback is turning his back to the defense. So what you've got is a design that we are going to get a receiver, a tight end, a receiver of some sort, a back even behind the linebackers because we are making their eyes focus on the run because we're running and we're pulling it down. If it's a passing situation, you don't waste the time with a play action trying to sell the run when it's not a good sell. They don't think you're going to run anyway. It is a disadvantage to the quarterback to turn his back to the defense but it is an advantage if you can sell it enough because you know that you're going to create spacing and coverage. So it's easier to throw in essence, if you can run the football very well, you create spacing and coverage. If you're a quarterback that can run it well, you have to defend the quarterback in the run game. It creates spacing and coverage so that you've got more room to throw it. You don't need to be as accurate because You've got less guys in coverage and deep coverage. So when Georgia has successes, when they can run the football, that's when they can throw it well because they're setting it up properly. When they're behind in the game, and remember, football, of course, you're behind 10 points in the first quarter. You don't need to abandon the run. You're down 17 points in the third quarter you're getting in its middle of the third quarter you have to start looking at we may not have enough possessions to come back and win it. we will have to stop every time we can't even allow a field goal we have to get we have to get the ball back quickly we need to get in good fit it becomes now a game of time not enough time to execute it because our offense is not a lineup quick go fast run passing game again, not a good two-minute offense, a four-minute offense, a play-action passing game. When would stop. That's fine if you're good enough to do that and manipulate certain opponents, you can have success. Against better opponents, you can't do it. So, you know, Georgia was behind, was not able to work their running game to set up play-action, and they're not as good with their passing concepts of being able to go out Even when they're able to get guys open, receivers, quarterbacks miss the receivers. And so the inability to, to, it's not just, well, it's all on the quarterback. They're playing the wrong quarterback. They're playing the wrong quarterback because what they're trying to do offensively is protect the ball, not turn it over. And they're not trying to go for the explosive play on offense. They're trying to protect the football. Well, that's fine when you are playing in those games, what I call line of scrimmage games. But when you're behind in the game, the inability to explode and make plays is not there because you haven't really worked that and ingrained that. Well, it, I'll get people asked, ask, Wait, couldn't they have done that if they kept Justin Fields? Yeah, if they had the offense and were committed to doing that. But they don't have that, and the reason they don't have Justin Fields is that. They didn't real they saw the talent level, but that didn't really fit what they wanted. That is let's protect the football. Let's be safe with the ball. And, you know, Frauma's better at that. And, you know, let's just like now, it's who's better at doing it? Well, you know, Bennett's better at handling that part. Well, again, it's about adopting what you want to do. What I always say to win at the highest level, you must be very proficient. With the two minute offense, the four minute offense, and you've got to be able to run the football. I defend the run, and you got to be able to cover rush the passer. If, you, if you're lacking in one of those, you're going to have to cover it up substantially. And you can do it. It's just you're it's like going to a work site with not everything in your tool belt. You can get the job done. It may be more difficult, and you might not be able to do it as well. And in the case of football, you might not be able to win it at the highest level because you're lacking certain things in your tool belt. And so that's why I said last week this game is close. Georgia's got a really good chance to win it, maybe has an edge because they're better at the line of scrimmage. But if it's a decisive win, it's going to be Florida. Georgia's not going to win it decisively. Florida would win it decisively because if they get a lead, the chances are it was going to be a bigger lead because Georgia coming back. So always look at that as teams, how they're built, and the commitment level to maybe build it a different way. Um, how does the playoffs look right now? And 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 how do what is the inside the film room? I'll give you my film room grades to this point. Um, Alabama's moved up solidly to number one Um, as the best team in the country when I study them on film. Ohio State would be too. Ohio State hadn't played as many games. I think they're capable of being one. But Alabama's a little bit better at running the football, particularly with the power game, and we'll see what Ohio State can do with that. Um, And I think there's some limitations to both defensively, but we're talking at a relatively speaking at a high level. It's very, very good. Those are the top two. Uh I fully respect Notre Dame's win. And if you're ranking it like in the whole rankings, certainly you should rank Notre Dame ahead of Clemson. They won the game. Uh, no problem with that. Film wise. You have to look at what's there, what's coming back. Um, there's no question that there were some missed opportunities and false steps by Clemson. I still think Clemson on film is the third best team. I think we'll see them if they play Notre Dame again and win the game. Um, so I still would put Clemson three in the film again. I'm not not saying if if you if I had to today rank them in the playoffs or you gotta put Notre Dame ahead because they won but I do think Clemson's a little bit better uh, I do think Notre Dame right now looks like the fourth best team but not they're more of it's still more of the top three and then it's Notre Dame in comparison with Am and Florida and you know uh, the other and I think there's a gap there and then, you know, I think there's, you know, you could put the Cincinnati's and the BYU's there. I've got you, Indiana, going to need to see more of, um, <clears throat> pardon me, Wisconsin. Got to see more of, but I, I will say this. I think Notre Dame, a and Notre Dame, Florida would be good games. And ideally playing that game and see who's, deserving of number four is kind of why I always say and always believe in the philosophy of put the best teams in the best bowl games, put that match up together and let them decide who the fourth team is because I think there's a gap between three and four. I think Clemson's better and quite a bit better than Notre Dame at full strength. Again, not to take anything away, but Notre Dame clearly would be number four because their win is more impressive and well, they haven't lost a game. And I'm assuming that they lose to Clemson. They still have the best win. And um, even if they were to lose decisively, and m lost decisively to Alabama. And I do think that Notre Dame-Florida would be an intriguing matchup. I actually think Florida's really good. By the way, I want to address something, too, on offenses. There's this belief now that if you're not good on offense, if you're Georgia, got to go to the air raid, got to go to no. And there's different ways to be successful offensively. Um, and doesn't run. A lot of RPOs and stuff. They're very eclectic. They eclectic. They, they, they run the football. Well, Jimbo runs the football and they run a lot of boots. They, they have a quarterback that has some mobility And that's, to me, if I were going to look at um, Michigan, Georgia, Tennessee's got a long way to go in a lot of areas. But if I'm just talking offense, who I would study and who I would try to emulate in all three of those cases would be like what A&M and what Notre Dame tries to do. If you run power, build behind a good offensive line, quarterback had to have some ability to move the pocket and work the tight ends in the passing game. You can still be a good four-minute offense, control the game, still have enough big plays because you can hit big plays in the passing game with a little bit more accuracy at quarterback. So you need to develop the quarterbacks a little bit better in that system. And I think when you do that, I think he can be successful. I mean, that's what I would do if I were Georgia. The whole, well, let's try to do this and let's run spread and let's I I, I don't know that that's I don't that's not the direction I would want to go if I were there, personally. You don't there's not one size fit all. This is how you run offense. There are many different ways to run offenses and defenses to be successful. And don't let anybody tell you that defense is no longer important. You need to have a good defense. How you define good defenses are different today than in the past. So I understand that, that you have to be able to defend in the red zone. You have to be able to get off the field on third downs. You have to be able to rush the passer, and you have to be able to stop the run. If you can't do those things, you're not going to win ultimately because you're not going to be able to score enough points. Even if you score it all the time, you can't stop anybody. You're going to have trouble. LSU won the national championship last year predominantly on their offensive productivity, but they don't win the championship if their defense doesn't play well situationally. They stopped and controlled. Uh, Look at that Oklahoma offense and how they were stymied in the playoffs. Look at that Clemson offense, how they were stymied in the playoffs better play some defense. It is still more about being able to score points than ever before, but you better, better, better be able to play good situational defense. So how do you build your defense in complement with offenses? I think is what you need to do, but don't buy into everything. Everybody has to throw it a bunch of times. Be air raid. That's, that's not how you want to do it in most cases. Uh, that's kind of the look at where the film says, um, what about in the NFL? Um, from a film standpoint, here's how, kind of how I'm uh, looking at. In the AFC, Kansas City is still the the team to beat because their offense is so explosive and their defense complements their offense well and their ability to rush the passer, particularly with a lead most of the time, is very, very a tough challenge. Pittsburgh, yes, is a more complete team no question about it that they're a better defensive team um, they can run the football well um, but they they the the ability and the potential for them to um, stop a team like Kansas City is gonna be tough and can they score enough points? That'll be the key, but I I do think those are the two best teams. Tennessee would be third, um, and they've been a little bit less consistent than Pittsburgh, but they're a well-rounded team. Again, that runs power plays pretty good defense. They're just not as good quite. They've got a better back and they can run the football as well, um, but they're not as good defensively as Pittsburgh. They can't run the pass, rush the pressure quite as good. And I still would prefer a healthy Big Ben than to Tannehill. But Tennessee's good, you know, a little maybe poor man's virgin, but 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 still capable of doing some damage. I moved up Buffalo a little bit, um, based on how they played last week, and if they can get healthy healthier on defense, I like their ability I moved up them up ahead of Baltimore mainly because of their balance. I like the way they're that Josh Allen is being able to move the pocket, make plays with his feet, um, make plays in the passing game downfield. Um, they've got good weaponry. I think they can run the football pretty well. They could spread you out. I think there's a lot of ways that they can beat you. um, on offense and and I think when fully healthy this defense is good this secondary is outstanding. You know, they haven't played well in stretches and they've got to be healthy. Uh, I don't know that I again, I got them fourth. I got them behind Tennessee. I they could go as high as 3 um I don't think they're a a strong you know, bet to go to the Super Bowl, but I think obviously they're still a a really good team. Baltimore, I like the defense. I like what they like how they coach this team. I think they're physical. I think they're tough. But there's some matchups that they just won't won't fare well against. And that is, you know, what we just talked about. They don't have enough in the passing game. And if they can't make people pay for overplaying the run, then they're not going to be they're not going to be able to come back and beat Kansas City. They don't match up well in that game. So Kansas city has to have an off day. They have to put the ball on the ground and Baltimore is going to have to just dominate this game at with time of possession for them to have a chance. Uh, then I would probably put Miami, which is playing better, you know, Miami, Indy Cleveland. I tell you who's playing pretty well as the Raiders, they're playing pretty well. Let's get to a couple of questions. Um, uh, some comments. Hey, again, thanks for Kev. More or ago. He cheered us joining. a bitch. Really appreciate that. Uh, great. Rich is watching Landry football on Twitch while doing a ton of homework assignments that do in the next couple of weeks. Hey, Rich. Take care of that schoolwork. Appreciate you. Uh, let us know. Are you having to? Are y'all going to be doing virtual work after the holidays? Uh, what's going on with you? Hey, appreciate Tony. Tony Fenton, love the show, love the knowledge. Thanks for doing this every week. Hey, Tony, check us out. Got SEC football and beyond with Neil McCready on Tuesdays and Fridays. Do this show on Thursdays. Do Scouts Eye on Wednesdays. Uh, do Hook and Landry on Monday. So um, appreciate you joining us every week. You can join us every day. Got a different show on there. Tony also asked, do you see the Bronze as the playoff team? now that teams can scheme defensively different without OBJ. They are a – outside looking in, I kind of mentioned them a a little bit. I I think right now they would be just outside of the playoffs. Look, if we go to eight and we do add an eighth team, I think they definitely – I think they are a wild card team. I think that Pittsburgh's more balanced. I think they're better, and I think Baltimore is more physical – and is more capable of taking control of the game at the line of scrimmage. But I do think beyond the Tennessee's and the Buffalo's, I think you can make the case that the Browns are kind of in that six to seven area, uh, which would put them in a, in a playoff situation. Um, and uh, I, by the way, Rich, Rich says, um, I know you guys are dealing with a tropical storm in the Tampa area. Um, be safe there, guys. We've had a bunch of those storms come through South Louisiana, and uh, yeah, tropical storm there. So be safe there, everybody. Rich and everybody in Tampa, but yeah, I think the Browns are a a potential wild card caliber team. Um, well, I'm hopping around a little bit. I wanted to um, to talk a little bit about, uh, Brian Kelly. I got to tell you, if you hear a meowing in the background, I got to tell you, and Mindy, you need to be quiet. I, um, for those of you that don't know, my background is a longtime coach and scout. Um, when my parents got ill, I moved back home, Louisiana, and started to do consulting work for, for teams. Um, and, Back when my dad was sick and uh, my mom and I care for him, dad passed away in 2004 and then uh, moved mom in full time with me and looked after her. She passed away in 2014. Um, I inherited a little cat and if she comes in close enough, I will grab her and put her on TV for you. But, an 18 year old cat. That was my mom and dad's cat that I inherit inherited. She's going to be 18, um, in, in a month, actually December 15th, she's going to be 18. And, um, anyway, such a loud meowing. I don't know if you can hear that over the air, but she gets a little aggravated when I'm not paying attention to her. She'll sometimes come on the desk when I'm watching film. But so if you hear that meowing, There's nothing wrong other than a spoiled, uh, cat. I don't know much about cats, although I've now had her for well over a decade and, uh, she's like a baby and, um, being that I'm here all the time, she's super, super spoiled. Um, wanted to, um, talk a little bit about Brian Kelly. And I've been jumping around a little bit because I had a question that was, and I'm trying to find it here. Um, well, I can paraphrase it. It was about Brian Kelly. And why? when can he get them over the top at Notre Dame? And uh, let, let me say this, and I'm I'm not, I don't, I try to shoot straight with you, and I'm not, I don't try to look at it as people that, because I like all these guys. I don't try to take up for the guys that I'm closest with, and I don't try to cover up for things, or do I be extra hard with guys that I'm not as close with? I don't think people appreciate and understand that Notre Dame over the years has been a little bit, for the most part, they've been very stringent with how they deal with their academics, how they deal with the um, issues with discipline. And I don't think people realize how difficult, uh, when Newholz was there, uh, no no disrespect, I don't mean to take any shots, but You know, the Tony Rice's and the Jerome Bettises of the world were not the guys that they could get into school now. And you got to take calculus as a true freshman at at Notre Dame. God help me if I had to. Um, You got to live at a certain place. The dorm room, it's a little bit different than other places. Your discipline is handled by the university. Um, There's a stringent, you know, Academic requirement on theology and religion and the Catholic faith. There, there's a lot of things that are a little bit unusual. They're they're academically minded, um, a lot like the Stanford, the Northwestern, the Purdue's people like that. You can't get they they don't recruit a, a lot of the guys that the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Georgia's of the world recruit. Ohio State. Not all those guys can get into Notre Dame for whatever reason. Um, I think that that's not understood enough. It's not an excuse, but they develop players very well. They develop offensive linemen. They develop tight ends. Brian's very hard on his quarterbacks, but they develop Develop well. That's a tougher job than people think. And I think he does an outstanding job. He's a guy that if he wanted to, um, he would be a really good NFL coach. He's a guy that not everybody would be comfortable working with because he'd want a lot of con- – sees a lot of control. But uh, in personnel, he's a really good teacher. And if the the fact that they've come close – to winning a title. As I've said before, if Stanford makes it to the national playoffs, we would hail them. And rightly so. Notre Dame is more like Stanford than they are like Alabama or Ohio state or Clemson in terms of the obstacles that they have. And they have, it's far from a liberal place. It's, it's, it's challenging, does a really good job. And I think people who really don't know and understand that say, "Well, Lou Holtz won the national title. Arrow won a national title. Leahy won a title." You know, it's a different world now. It is a different world, and uh, I think he's done a phenomenal job. I think he deserves a lot of credit. Um, want to get into um, on some other platforms here, probably next week early, and also. Um, on some other things I want to get into some NFL teams that I think are in trouble organizationally. I want to get into some of the, the good, bad, the ugly college football programs and kind of where they are kind of running out of time. I want to get into a couple of minutes that we have left of some of the matchups who went into the matchups this week, Notre Dame, BC, just be careful there. If you're Notre Dame, they're the better team. Think, BC can score some points early, shoot out early, get behind. That could get interesting, but Notre Dame should be able to win this at the line of scrimmage. Boston college's offensive line is good, but they're a little bit more built for the passing game than they typically have. It's going to be real interesting. Um, I'm looking for that. I'm looking to see who responds in Penn state, Nebraska, who's going to bow up and have some pride. Indiana should take care of business against Michigan state. But again, Your discipline gets challenged here. Curious to see what Wisconsin will do. In the NFL, really intrigued by Buffalo, Arizona. This is an explosive Arizona team. You're going on the road, had success against Seattle last week. Really good test for Buffalo. I think Seattle responds against the Rams, but I'm curious to see that. Looks like McCaffrey will not be healthy and may not even play for Carolina. Looks like I think they're going to rule him out. Tampa probably responds, but I want to see that. Baltimore, and New England is intriguing, but I think that Baltimore is just better than New England right now. And Monday night, Minnesota-Chicago, this Viking team is starting to play well. This Bears team is continuing to collapse. Will that continue? And I'm telling you, Thursday night, if you are listening to this before the Thursday night game, if you're listening to it after, you know the result of it. But I'm really intrigued by Indianapolis, Tennessee. It kind of feels like a must game for the Colts uh, to go in to Nashville and win the game. Uh, You can't get two games behind, in my view. I think this Colts team has played pretty well defensively. Can they come up big? Can Phillip Rivers protect the ball? Those are big question marks. Uh, I think Tennessee doesn't. certainly don't wrap anything up, but I think they take a strong step of the win here. Hey, we're running out of time. Make sure that you check out with the guys. Big 12 football coming up. Chuck Oliver in an hour. We'll be back next week with you. Check out all the film breakdowns on LandryFootball.com, college and the NFL. Appreciate everybody joining us. Talk to you next time, everyone.
0: 18 plus.